Okay. <laughs> Today's parasha is uh, Devorim, and it's uh, and it's Erev Tisha B'Av. So I'd like to say something that might uh, be important for the Tisha B'Av season, but it won't be what's regularly discussed, not that posset of Echa Salavadi. But I'd like to look at the first posset in the book of Devarim, first posset in the parish of Devarim. The posset says, Ela Devarim Asher Diber Moshe Kol Yisrael. You have to understand that Moshe Rabbeinu, even though the book of Devarim is a book, and it sounds like it might really cover a lot of time, we're really talking about a very small amount of time. A uh, time between when B'nai Yisrael arrived at Avot Moab, which is roughly the eastern side of the Jordan, parallel to Yericho. Right. Avot Moab. Until Moshe Rabbeinu dies, at the end of the book of Dvarim, very little time passes. So that B'nai Yisrael are being primed by Moshe Rabbeinu to go to Eretz Israel, And he's telling them at the beginning of the book of Devarim, of course I'm oversimplifying the contents a little bit, but at the beginning of the book of Devarim, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling B'nai Yisrael what they should be thinking about. And it seems that what he says is that they should be thinking about history. They should be thinking about their history. What happened to them from Yitziat Mitzrayim, until this day, until today. So the first pasuk, the first pasuk in Dvarim, Eila Moshel Kol Yisrael, these are the things that Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to all of B'nai Yisrael, Be'ever Hayardein. Be'ever Hayardein. Now in fact, this should be enough. As far as we're concerned, the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was Be'ever Hayardain when he started talking to B'nai Yisrael is all the information that we really have to know. But the Pasuk goes on and says, Bamidbar, Ba'arava, Mosuf, Ben Paran, Ben Tofen, Vilavan, Vechatzerot, Vidizav. All of those words are in the Pasuk. And it seems, at first, when we look at these words, that all of those words are the names of places. I guess close to each other. It's as if the Torah said to us, I want you to know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to us, exactly where Moshe Rabbeinu was when he spoke to B'nai Yisrael. So we today, we might not know where all of these places are, but we have this idea that the Torah worked hard to explain to us where Moshe Rabbeinu was. Even though, as far as we're concerned, I imagine that if the word, had the Torah just said, had the Torah just said, Ba'arava, right, or Be'eva Hayardain, the Torah just said, Be'eva Hayardain, the eastern side of the Jordan, that would be enough. I mean, what difference does it make to us? You know, how, where exactly Moshe Rabbeinu was standing when he said whatever he said. But Rashi takes us down a different path. Rashi's explanation of this pasuk, this one pasuk in the Torah, 
is nothing short of wondrous. Rashi says this, you see the Rashi? Right? These words that Moshe Rabbeinu is about to say are words of rebuke. Moshe Rabbeinu is going to come with ta'anot against B'nai Yisrael. He says, rebuke. Umanakan kol ha-makomot sheikh isu lifnei ha-makom bahen. So Rashi sets down the principle for understanding this pasuk. It is not true that the pasuk is telling me where Moshe Rabbeinu was, but the pasuk is presenting me with a code for rebuke. Each word in the pasuk represents or reminds us of a place that B'nai Yisrael were in when they did a bad thing. And so Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu chose, chose his rebuke or his way of rebuke in a very special manner. He didn't say anything to them. He just mentioned the name of the place where some terrible event took place. And Rashi goes on and says, L'fikach satam et advarim. Satam et advarim. Therefore, he did not clarify them. He didn't speak openly about them. These kiram beremes. And he mentioned them only in the form of a remes. A remes is, a remes is, it's not really there. Obviously, you've got to kind of milk it out. You've got to get it out of the word. That's a remez. Mipnei kvodan shel Yisrael. So Rashi seems to say that rebuke is problematic. And what's problematic about rebuke is that you have to say what it is you're rebuking about. You can't go to a person and say, I am rebuking you and not mention what it is that you find fault with. That you can't do. So if you want to rebuke a person, you have to say, I am rebuking you for acting in the way that you acted. Along comes Rashi. Along comes Moshe Rabbeinu. And Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu confronted by this dilemma of rebuke elected to do it beremes. What's a remes? Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say it, but everybody understood it. That's called, that's called a, a, a remes. Rashi goes on to explain the next stitch in the Yisrael. What is El Kol Yisrael? Why does the Pesach have to emphasize that all the Jewish people were involved? So Rashi says, if he would have only spoken to a, a portion of the people, then those who happened to be in the shuk, I guess it means in the makolet, the ones who were in the makolet at the time, they would say, Atem ayitem shomim miben amram shivotem davar mikach vikach Ilu ayinu sham ayinu meshivim alto. 
So the ones who were not there would say to the ones who were there, so what, you just stood there and listened to the rebuke? You didn't argue with Moshe Rabbeinu? You didn't give a hard time? If we were there, we would have given him a hard time. We would have returned his rebuke. Lekachkin sam kulam. Therefore Moshe Rabbeinu brought them all together. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to every to all the, the people, oh, you're all here, there's no one who is absent, if you have something to say, say it. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. So that, you know that, uh, so what uh, psychologically, what Rashi is saying is, that one of the ways that people have of ignoring rebuke is by saying, he didn't mean me. He, he meant the other people. But he didn't mean me. Uh, the, the way to overcome that, the way to overcome that is, is you say, I mean you. Right? You know, the person who gives the rebuke says specifically, I'm talking about you. And that's a difficulty where you go to rebuke a large community. Because, I mean, everybody knows, we were talking about shuls before, sometimes the rabbi gets up and he makes a statement and he says, the people in the shul are guilty. So, that's good. Because everybody looks around and they say, it doesn't mean me. I mean, he's just saying it in general. But uh, that's how rabbis maintain their jobs. They say, all of you are guilty. And since, uh, who might, I don't mind that if everybody is guilty. He doesn't mean me. So, Moshe Rabbeinu had to be careful that no one would exclude himself from this rebuke. That no one would argue. That no one would argue that the rebuke is not directed at me. Let's go on. Let's go in the... Uh, in the, in the uh, Rashi. The next word in the Pasuk is Bamidbar, which means in the desert. Now we know that deserts sometimes have names and sometimes don't have names in the Torah. There's a Midbar, there's the idea of the Midbar, there's a great expanse of Midbar, but there's also a Midbar that has a name, that, you know, it goes from here to there. Midbar Paran, for example, we know, we know about. What does Rashi say about Midbar? Rashi says, Lo bamidbar hayu Moab. They were not in the desert. They were in Avot Moab. And we know about Avot Moab. What do we know? That the sheep are grazed in Avot Moab. Ruven gav chatzishevit menashe. They had grazing land. That's not a desert. So Rashi says, Rashi says proof, uh, the first proof that you have to explain the Pasuk my way. Which is my way? That the Pasuk is a remez. That in the Pasuk there are hints. And those words are not names of places, but they are simply hints at what B'nai Yisrael did in the past. The first proof of that, according to Rashi, is the word Bamidbar. They weren't in the Midbar. So what Midbar are we talking about? <coughs> they talk about Bamidbar. First time B'nai Yisrael complained, they said, oh, we'd rather die here in the desert after Yitziat Mitzrayim 
thing go on with Moshe Rabbeinu. That we don't want to do. So that's the word Bamidbar, a crucial word in understanding, in understanding the Pasuk. The next word is Arava. Arava. And it's hard to know what the word Arava actually means. I mean, so I brought along an English translation. So you don't know, you look at the English translation, right? It's just that you don't want to ask that critical question. He says, Bamidbar, across the Jordan. I can't even find it. Bevayadain, Bamidbar, in the wilderness. Ba'arava, in the plain. That's what it says in the English translation. What's a plain? It's flat. I don't know, you know. I don't know anything about geom- geography. It's flat. A plain is flat. They were in the desert, Ba'abamidbar. They were Ba'arava, where it was flat. The deserts are usually flat, are they? I don't know. I guess if you if you're a truly avid reader of National Geographic or watch the Discovery Channel all the time, you might be able to answer this question. But I don't know what the answer is. But Arava is a word that's attached to place names. Like Arvot Moav. Arvot Moav is the the place in Moab that could be called Arava. So we have Midbar, and we call Ar- we have Arava. And Rashi told us that Midbar doesn't mean Midbar, but it means, remember what you did in the Midbar, in that place in the Midbar. And what, what did he say about Arava? Arava, Bishvil Ha'arava, Shiratu Bibal Pa'or Bishitin Barvot Moab, remember? Baal Shitin, Avod Moav, Bil'am, Benot Moav, right? You remember all of that? That was, so, so, Moshe Rabbeinu is reminding them that the Arafah was, it's sort of the name of a sin. It's something you did. You did it by Arafah. Then, listen. Mulsuf. Mulsuf. Mulsuf is Hebrew, and it means facing Suf. What does suf mean? What does suf mean? Suf means the reeds that grow along the river, the riverbed. I don't know if you've ever been in a river. Have you ever been in a riverbed? Have you ever seen reeds in a riverbed? But if you ever saw a movie describing Moshe Rabbeinu in that little cradle and going along in the river, so there are always reeds in that riverbed. Because that's what riverbeds look like. So it says, it says here, in the course of Mulsuf, Rashi, Remember they came to Yamsuf and they said this terrible thing? What did you bring us here? To bury us? Can't we, we could be buried in Mitzrayim for the same, for the same effort? Rashi says that the Gemara mentions the fact that different things happened on the Yam Suf. So when Rosh Rabbeinu says Mul Suf, we all know what he means. We all know what Moshe Rabbeinu means. Now, one more. It says in the Pasuk, this part of the Pasuk is, is not so comprehensible. Ben Paran, 
ובין תופל, בין פארן ובין תופל. So פארן is some place that we may have heard about. But what's תופל? What's Tovah? Where's Paran? What's the point of telling me the names of these places if I can't figure out where they are? So look again at Rashi, Ben Paran and Ben Tovah, Omar Abi Yochanan. It's what it says in our Rashi. But also there's another version that says Rashbi, Rashima Yuchai was the one who said this. But Rashima Yuchai was a great Tano, and Rabbi Yochanan was the greater mower of Eris Yisrael. So in either case, it comes from a very reputable authority. What did they say? What did one of them say? They said, "Chazanu al kol hamikra velo matzanu matzinu makom shishmot tofel vilavad." Rabbi Yochanan, he sat there. He didn't have a. He couldn't Google it. So since he couldn't Google it, he had to sit there. And in his head, he went through the whole Tanakh. He says, "I went through the whole Tanakh." I couldn't find in the Tanakh a place that was called Tofel Vilavan. I never heard of such a place. So along came Rabbi Yochanan, and they said, they said like, like a medrash about the words. They said, listen, these words being Tofel Vilavan, they don't they have nothing to do with place names. Because I never heard of such a place. And secondly, they said, it's not even it's not even a direct reference to something, but you have to really know how to darshan it. How do you darshan it? So he says this, he says, you have the words Ben Parano Ben Tofel. Then there's Tofel de Lavan, right? Tofel de Lavan. Elohan Tafel it's like you put sugar or salt on the on the man, you kind of um, what do you call that? Uh, you know when you put on spices, a season, right? They season. So thank you. So he says, Taflul man lavan. They seasoned the man, which itself is lavan, with words. Shamru, v'nashenu katsa, balechem atzlokel. We're sick and tired of this, you know, fashtukin ebrite, you would say. This, this terrible, this terrible blood. That's what they said about the, that's what they said about the, um, so that the words don't exactly remind you of what happened. It's like a little tricky here. They, they, they made this terrible accusation about the man. And so the word parad refers to the miraglim. The tofu balavan refers to what they said about the, about the man. We're almost finished with the pasuk. Chatzerot. Chatzerot, Rashi says, The word chatzerot refers to the korach revolt. What does the Baruch mean? 
was the place that they went to after Miriam died. And she then and Moshe Rabbeinu said, "You should have learned about lashon hara from from Miriam, but you didn't. You then went on and spoke against spoke against this trip that we were taking." Last one. Lavan, where there's Hatzerot, and now Dizahav. Hochichan, finally, ala Egel, Shasu. Dishorov, Zahav, Shayalahem. He rebuked them for making the golden calf. And the reason that they made the golden calf was because they had all this gold. Shinema, the Kesed, her Beiti, La, Rizahav, Asu, Labah. That they used the gold. They used the gold in order to make, um, in order to make the golden calf. So Rashi presents, Rashi presents to us a certain idea. Here's Moshe Rabbeinu. He's standing at the end of his, it's at the end of his career, and he wants to give Bnei Yisrael a little bit of, what they call it, chizuk. Wants to strengthen them for the tests that are coming up, and he says to them, he says to them, "Look, in the past, you've really messed up. You have to remember that you messed up in the past, in order to help you ensure that you won't do that in the future." That's Moshe Rabbeinu. However, Moshe Rabbeinu himself had, a, had a, uh, an issue that he had to do. He didn't want to say it. He didn't want to say all of these terrible things about B'nai Yisrael. He didn't want to say overtly what had happened. And so he said it in a code, a code which everybody understood, even though by the time of Chazal, by the time of the Rashbi or Rabbi Yochanan, it was not really so clear to them about this code. And so Rabbi Yochanan formulated, the Rashbi formulated, he says, I looked for a place called uh, Lavan and, and uh, Tofel, <coughs> uh, and I couldn't find it. In other words, that means that he was still looking. In the time of the Rashbi, they were still looking to see whether this possible could be understand, understood in a simple and direct way. But by the time of Rabbi Yochanan, let's say, taking the later of the two people that are mentioned by the time of Rabbi Yochanan, it was no longer possible to say that this Pasuk had a pshat. Didn't have a pshat. So this is not, this Rashi is not explaining to us the drash, so to speak. Because a drash only exists when there's a pshat. I mean, I hope I'm not uh, um, being annoying. But we all know that Rashi dealt with Pshat and Drash. Mostly Pshat. And what is Pshat according to Rashi? Pshat is what the Pasuk means. It's not judged by whether the analysis seems to us to be fantastic or not. It's just what the Pasuk means. So according to Rashi, the primary meaning of this Pasuk, 
Bamidbar, Ba'arafa, etc., is that each one of these words hints at an event in history. And since each one of these events hints at, a, uh, at an event in history, and that is really what Moshe Rabbeinu wanted B'nai Yisrael to hear about, that is certainly the pshat. That is certainly the pshat. And the words themselves, on the dictionary level, or like the geography level, don't have any meaning. They don't mean that this is not a place. Bamidba is not a place. Bairova is not a place. The, all these names and words do not refer to places. So that Rashi is not giving us an unlikely interpretation, but is giving us the pshat interpretation, at least according to Rashi. At least according to Rashi. I mean, you know, you could disagree, or you could have some other way of looking at it. But... Uh, the Ramban, for example, I just mentioned the Ramban. Ramban didn't think that Moshe Rabbeinu was reproving B'nai Yisrael at all, rebuking them. The Ramban says, in his introduction to the book of Devarim, the Ramban says, well, what's, what's the point? Why would, uh, why would Moshe Rabbeinu be on the eve of going into Eretz Yisrael? You know, it's like a... A mashkiach in yeshiva, you know, mashkiach, the job of mashkiach in yeshiva is very often to tell the boys how bad they are. You don't understand why this is a very attractive position. And the, the mashkiach says to the boys, ah, you didn't come on time, you, didn't, you weren't always a minion, you weren't always paying attention to the shir, you know, you just over and over, this litany goes on over and over again. And of course, it has very limited value, because people are usually not interested in why they're not good. They want to know that they're good and could be better. But in the old style the yeshiva system, they, the mishkiach is into telling everybody that they're not good. And that's the end of the story. So that the most normal people in yeshiva are the ones who absolutely ignore everything the mishkiach says. That's how you maintain your sanity. And the Ramban says, the Ramban says in introduction to Dvorim, he says, why was Moshe Rabbeinu so interested in rebuking B'nai Yisrael? What could be accomplished? Everybody knew they'd just been 40 years in the desert. Everybody knew that they were wandering around aimlessly and there was no point to it and they were being punished. Why does Moshe Rabbeinu have to come and tell them tell them how bad they were in the last 38 years. What positive result is there? So Abad says, but you have to, that's not how it was. Moshe Abenu came to tell them how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves Am Yisrael. It was like a Baruch Moshe Abenu said to them, look, you did this, and then you did that, and you did the other thing, etc., et and you're still going to Eretz Yisrael. Can you imagine how much slicha and mechila, how much forgiveness HaKadosh Baruch Hu had for you, for Am Yisrael? That's the Ramban. That's the Ramban. So that it's not clear what the purpose of this pasuk or this statement of Moshe Rabbeinu is, but according to Rashi, it was rebuke. And rebuke cannot be said in an obvious or simple way. Look at the Gemara. That's on the sheet here. Erchin daftezayin o'edayis. 
The Gemara says this, How do you know that if I see somebody doing something that he shouldn't do, I have to tell him about it. I have to warn him. I have to say, don't do that. How do I know that? There's a mitzvah of tochacha in the Torah. What if he did it? And the guy ignores it. I, I give tochacha. I rebuke somebody, but he ignores my, what, what I did. How do I know that you should do it again? That you should, that you should do it. You should do it in any event. Says, what if you cause him great embarrassment? Like whatever the regular color is, it becomes white or red. He's embarrassed. Do not bear the burden of his hate. Tell him. You have to tell him, even if it's embarrassing to him, you have to tell him what it is. You want. Tanya is a brighter. Omar Vitarfa. Tamea Ani. Imyesh Vidor Hazer Shemekabel Tochacha. This is said here in the, in the name of Rabbi Tarfa. Rabbi Tarfa said, I don't know if in our generation there is someone who is able to accept rebuke. Because Rabbi Tarfa said, no one's going to pay attention. There isn't a single person that I know of who would pay attention to rebuke. Kisam is like a splinter. Or a toothpick, we would say, but uh, you know, those days didn't have toothpicks. But that little splinter is a wood. If I say to somebody, take this little splinter of wood off of your eye, you know, it's like you go over to somebody and say, oh, there's a little bit of dirt on your face. Take off that little bit of dirt. So he would say to me, oh, you've got a whole beam on your face. In other words, if I say to him, I say, and look, you did something wrong. So he's going to say to me, oh, you, you did something a lot worse. You know, like this is a kind of argument that children have. Right? Why did you do that? Well, you did it worse. But adults sometimes are children. And they're not able, they're not able to deal with criticism. That's what Rabbi Tarifun said. He says, I, I'm concerned that there may not be a single person in our generation who knows how to rebuke. Because rebuke has a purpose. Rebuke is never the purpose of rebuke. I rebuke in order to get the other person to change his way. So the Gemara says that according to Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah, we don't know. Maybe there's no one who knows how to do it. Rabbi 
וכל שכן שהוספתי בו אהבו לקיים מה שנאמר תוכיח ולצפן ישנאיך להוכיח לחכם ויעבך ‫אז And that reason was that he knew that when you give Tochachot to Am Yisrael, it's not going to work in every instance. It's not going to deal with every problem. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know, according to the Gemara in Erechim, that it was mutter for him to give Tochachot. Because Tochachot has a practical side that it's supposed to work. It's supposed to affect a result. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, but I have to give it to call the Klal Yisrael. That's what the Pesach says. Remember, El Kol Yisrael? And Rashi said, well, what do you have to emphasize Kol Yisrael? Where else would they be except standing there listening to Moshe Rabbeinu? No, they might be out in the shuk in the village. They might come complaining that, that, that they, they were not included or they weren't there. If they were there, they would have answered. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, you have to understand that Tochacha is purposeful. It's not just an obligation that we have. We have an obligation to do Tochacha. We have an obligation to do Tochacha when we are confident that that Tochacha will be effective. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid of. And that's why he hid the Tochacha in a remez. Because Moshe Rabbeinu knew his people. And he knew that certainly in the time of the Tanoim, this problem existed. It certainly existed for Moshe Rabbeinu in his time. When he came to talk to B'nai Yisrael, so he hid the Tochah on a remez. And by hitting the toch, hiding the Tochah in a remez, he was able to say the people who want to listen will listen. And the people who don't want to listen will not listen, but I haven't uh, put them on the spot. I haven't made, I haven't clarified the Tochach. That's the, that's the way I understand the Pasuk and the Rashi. So now let's look at Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman. You see at the bottom of the page, Rabbi Nachman takes up this question. He doesn't refer directly to Moshe Rabbeinu, but he definitely refers to the question. Rabbi Nachman. So, I'm sorry, the, the, whoever did this printed the wrong Rav Nachman. He printed Kamo. This has never happened to me before in three years. And it should be Tinyana. Notice it's Rav Nachman the second half and not Rav Nachman the first half. So I'll tell you what Rav Nachman says. Even though it's not nearly as good. No matter what anybody says. Everybody says, no matter how good the presentation is, it's never as good as when you learn it inside. You have to learn it inside. 
but I have no choice. I've been overwhelmed by a force majeure beyond my control. This is what Rabbi Nachman says. Rabbi Nachman says, why, why is it? Why is it that if you, if you want to give rebuke to your fellow, you have to make sure it's going to work? What do you mean you have to make sure that it's going to work? What do you mean? If it works, it works. If it didn't work, he did the right thing. That's of Nachman's kasha. He says, I don't understand. He doesn't understand the Torah. He says, Why would I think there's a limit? What's worse about tochacha that doesn't work than not giving tochacha? What's worse? So Nachman says, it seems to me that he gets it from this Rashi. Rav Nachman says this. He says, you know, when you mention, you say, you did this, or you did that. So you cause, I mean, you like unleash the, the evil that was done by the other person. You bring it to the table. You say, let's talk about it. Let's say he stole, or he spoke Lush and Horror. He says, let's talk about Lush and Horror. So the person who's denying that he spoke Lush and Horror, he has to disagree. He has to contradict the rebuker. And the way he contradicts the rebuker is by saying, not only didn't I talk Lush and Horror, but you talk Lush and Horror. That's a common defense, as we said before, a common defense of the one who's being rebuked. And now there's a new topic. And the new topic is, how many people spoke Lush and Horror? How much Lush and Horror is there? How many things were done by a variety of people that are not acceptable, not legitimate? It is it's like Lush and Horror itself. It contains within it like a powerful explosive. When people do tochocha, it's not usually like, it doesn't remain placid and pleasant and uneventful. But the person who is being rebuked, he has to say something. He has to argue. The person who accepts the tochacha is the person who says nothing, who is quiet. And then you get involved in all those averas, all the laden that the Chovetz Chaim talks about in Shmir Saloshon, Holcheach Tolcheach, and Shmir Saloshon, and Loshon Hora are very much the same. What distinguishes Holcheach Tolcheach, according to Rab Nachman Abraza, from Loshon Hora is that Holcheach Tolcheach has a purpose. And in accomplishing that purpose, it's like, it's like a dut. It's like being a witness. When you go to court and you give witness against your fellow, so of course you're, you're talking Russian horror. You're saying terrible things about him. Maybe you should never go to court. So the terrorist says, no, you have to go to court. There are times you have to go to court even though certainly what you're going to say about the, your fellow is in the category of Russian horror. You have to do it anyway. But that's not a heter. For speaking Lashon Hara, you understand. A person can't say, oh, if it was a court case, I would go to court. So now it's not a court case. I'll just go and say nasty things about him. No, you can't do that. The Torah distinguishes, and that's what the Chavetz Chaim points out in his Akdoma, to Shvira Salashon, that the situation is everything. What you can say and what can you do, you can do 
is a function of the situation that you're in. So Tolchacha is a form of Lashon Hara. Certainly if you give the Tolchacha in public, which is one of the options, but even if you give the Tolchacha in private, it's not true that your privacy insulates anybody from finding out what you say. And so Tolchacha, we have to understand that Tolchacha is a, an explosive unleashed it's something that has to be controlled. It can't be done idly. And therefore, therefore the Torah says, only when you're confident that it's going to work, which is very similar to going to court to, uh, to give witness about something that is important enough to give witness about. And in recent times, there has been this confusion especially amongst religious Jews, especially amongst religious Jews, also in, even in Eretz Israel, but also in America, if you know that somebody, yes, somebody, you know that someone is a pedophile, should you report him to the police? I mean, after all, we have this problem with the us and the them of the police forces. The police, after all, they're, they're not religious Jews. Who knows? Can you turn a religious Jew over to a police force of non-religious Jews? The same question exists in Eretz Israel. Can you turn a religious Jew over to the police force which is made up of Jews who are not religious, who are not interested in the Torah? Can you do it? Well, the answer is that it depends on the issue. And it's on the issue. A pedophile is a person who cannot be allowed free-range in society. So the only way to combat that is to take the matter to court. There's no other means that we have at our disposal considering the civil law that we are all bound to. So that even though even though turning your back on a Jew and giving him up to uh, the authorities may at times be problematic when there's a particular purpose to what you're doing there is no problem and so Rav Nachman of Bratzlav was the one who explained to us this doesn't even sound like uh, mystical right sounds like regular Rav Nachman of Bratzlav said this very regular thing he says you have to understand and this is what, this is what the Chavz Chaim said years later that you have to understand that when the Gemara said that the Lashon, that your tongue can kill, right, that Lashon Hara is, is a matter of life and death. People will die because of the Lashon Hara that is said. This is when the, when the Chachomim said that, when the Chachomim said that, they meant, they meant you have to have a good reason for speaking about your neighbor. A really good reason. And so Tolchacha, the mitzvah of Tolchacha, called Rav Nachman Vassal, called this, the Rambam says it's also in the Hosdeus, and the Gemara says, based on the, the Gemara in Erchin, which talks about all of these matters of Ucherich Tolchiach, the Rambam, the Gemara, the Chavetz Chaim, they all agree that speech is a weapon that has to be used judiciously. It's true. Sometimes you have to take a sword and stick it into the person who did the transgression. 
but you always have to remember that you have a sword in your hand and that that sword might be applied incorrectly, injudiciously in the wrong in the wrong place. Uh, only when it's going to work. Sometimes you have to do it twice. But if you know that nothing good is going to come of it and nothing positive will result from it, then the component of Lashon Hara in Ochiach to Ochiach takes over and it is forbidden, it is absolutely forbidden to, uh, to do that kind of Tochacha. So we see that Moshe Rabbeinu was faced with these two issues. When he came to rebuke B'nai Yisrael, first he knew that not everybody would listen to what he said. Secondly, he knew that if he just says it, he treads on the uh, shallow waters of Lashon Hara. And he certainly didn't want to do that after the story with Miriam and Aaron, etc. The way he overcame, the way he was able to deal was by creating this series of rimazim, of hints that alluded to things that everybody knew but that Moshe Rabbeinu himself did not find necessary to say. Have a good chance.